Before we start today's story, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone who watches these videos on YouTube or listens to the podcast, especially to the patrons for your wonderful support. If it wasn't for your awesome support, I wouldn't be making these stories and doing this at all. But because of it, I've learned to fall in love with writing, recording, and editing these stories. Over the course of the next year, I'll be going to school for audio production. So unfortunately, I might not be able to upload as frequently as I'd like to. But just know that if uploads are scarce over the course of the next year, it's not that I've lost the motivation, but it's because I plan to come back better and stronger than ever before. Thank you all again for your kind words and loving support. And now, on to the story. Wind and sun blessed the top of Lake Menominock, while herons gracefully traced the water's edge in search of fish. All along the lake were cottages and houses, occupying every inch of shoreline, beautiful in appearance and upkeep. Each house had a small dock with a motorboat, some with jet skis, sailboats, canoes, and kayaks. The people who spent time in these houses enjoyed the lake in all its natural beauty, as the summer sun set on this gorgeous New England gem. Early the next morning, a car pulled up to one of the houses, carrying the Williams family, Mom, Dad, and Michael. At their lake house, they enjoyed the water, the sun, the trees, and the fresh air too, along with good food, yard games, and all the water sports toys available for play. Although the Williams had everything necessary to fulfill their human wants and needs, Michael was often quite lonely. Treaded the water alone in his tiny sailboat and watched other kids run, swim, and play games along the shore. He wasn't different than the other kids, but he wasn't like them either. Michael had a bit of a hard time making friends, which was mainly the reason why he didn't have any. At a mere 10 years of age, Loneliness was an emotion he had grown to know a bit too well. Late one night, Michael lay in bed with his eyes closed and wide awake. He listened to the sounds of the night. Crickets chirping. Birds crooning to one another across the water and the gentle breeze as it brushed up against the leaves. Among these noises, he heard one that was not so familiar. Water, as it moved unnaturally against the shore. It sounded as if someone or something were waiting in it. Michael opened his eyes and looked out of his bedroom window. Shocked, with what he saw. At the edge of the water, pressed against the moonlight's reflection, 
was the silhouette of a small boy. Frightened, but wildly intrigued, he slowly opened the window and crawled out the other side to approach the boy in the water. The boy noticed Michael immediately and raised his hand calmly to say hello. Michael walked right up to him and said, What are you doing? I don't know, replied the boy. His hair was soaking wet, skin pale, and lips purple, as he stood shivering in the dark of night, wearing nothing but a bathing suit. Do you want a jacket? asked Michael. You look cold. I'm always cold, said the boy. Warm clothes won't help. Well, where do you live? Michael inquired. Here, the boy said. You mean in Loon Bay? No. Oh, so out by Oak Island? No. So you must live in the Narrows then? No. I don't get it. Where do you live? Here, in the lake. The boy then turned around and began walking into the water. He walked into his knees, then up to his waist, and up to his shoulders, until there was just a little head bobbing silently in the moonlight. In an instant, the head disappeared under the water, and Micah was left standing on the shore, as if he had been stood there alone the whole time. The next morning, Michael awoke wondering if what he experienced was all a dream. The memory was fresh in his head, but it seemed so surreal that it couldn't have really happened, he thought. In the afternoon, he sailed the water in his tiny boat, observing the lake and everything in it. The eelgrass swaying gently beneath the water's surface loons flying silently overhead, and the adults slowly treading the water in their boats, drinking and partying under the warm summer sun. Across the water from Michael's house, a small group of boys played football on the grass of the house opposite. They ran and yelled frantically, playing their game without a care in the world. Their friendship and camaraderie fascinated Michael deeply, for it was something he had never experienced personally, and longed for wholesomely. He was then reminded of the previous summer, when, in an attempt to befriend the boys, he floated over in his kayak and asked to play with them. They said he could but only if he could swim under the water and retrieve a stone from the bottom of the lake. Their menacing grins made Michael feel uneasy, but he was so desperate to make friends that he decided to give it a try. He took a deep breath and dove under the water. He kicked and kicked and reached helplessly with his hand 
but felt nothing as he rushed back to the surface and gasped foolishly for air. The others laughed, and one said, Wow, you were so close. Try it again. Michael took another deep breath and went back under, this time kicking harder and reaching even further. On the tips of his fingers he could feel blades of grass and sediment of the lake floor, but not before running out of air and having to return to the surface for another ungracious breath. Again the boys laughed wildly, and the same one said, One more try. You're so close. In a final attempt at earning the boy's respect, Michael dove back down, kicked and reached with all his might. He reached past the pond grass and into the mud, where he felt the jagged edge of a rock brush against his fingertip. Grabbing a handful of whatever he could, Michael shot up to the surface with his fist above his head. I got it, he proclaimed, and opened up his fist to reveal nothing but blades of pond grass and mud. The boys erupted into hysterical laughter, and humiliation entered Michael's heart. Come back tomorrow and you can try again, said the first boy. Wow, what a loser, muttered another. Michael even caught a glimpse of the boy's father standing on the back porch, chuckling to himself after witnessing the ordeal as he sipped a cold beer. Michael climbed back into his kayak and slowly paddled over to his side of the lake. That was a year ago, and still he kept his distance. Night fell, and Michael lay awake in his bed yet again, indulging in his lonesome thoughts, along with the sounds of nature. Again, that irregular splashing. Was it the strange boy from before? Michael looked out the window and found that it was. He quietly crawled out and walked up to him. Hey, I never asked you your name. It's Edward. My name's Eddie. Hi, Eddie. My name's Michael. You have a nice house, Michael. I wish I lived in a house like that. You must have a lot of friends, too. Mmm, no, not really. Other kids don't like to play with me that much. Huh. That's funny. Why not? I don't know. Probably because they think I'm weird. Well, I don't think you're weird. I think you're pretty swell. Thanks, Michael said bashfully. He had never been given such a compliment before. What about you? Who are your friends? Oh, I don't know. A bunch of kids from around the lake. Sometimes I'm not really sure if they're my friends or not. What makes you say that? Asked Michael. It's like sometimes they're nice to me, and sometimes they're not. They like to make me do things I don't want to do. Like what? 
One time they made me climb a tree to knock down a beehive because they said there was honey in it. Another time they shot Roman candles at me to see if it would hurt when they hit me. Why did you let them do that? I don't know. I just wanted them to be my friends. The worst was when they threw a baseball out into the middle of the lake and told me to go get it. But first they blindfolded me and spun me around a bunch of times before they pushed me into the water. They were all laughing, but I was scared. Did you swim back to the shore? No. I wanted to get the baseball, so I swam out to the middle of the lake. Only thing is, when I got there, I was so tired I couldn't swim anymore. I tried to make it back, but the water kept going in my mouth and in my nose. Soon I couldn't breathe and I went under. This is where I've been ever since. It's not very fun here. I'm sorry to hear that, Eddie. Your friends don't sound very nice. Most of them are pretty nice. Just not the Van Beeks. Those two really weren't nice to me. The Van Beeks? Michael questioned. They live in that house right there on the other side of the lake. Do you know them? Eddie asked. Uh, kinda. I know that Rob Van Beek lives there. He's our age. What about Philip Van Beek? Does he live there too? No, I don't think so. How about George Van Beek? He must still live there. Yeah, he does. That's Rob's dad. Eddie's eyes grew large and wide. Michael didn't know the significance of George and Rob Van Beek, or what it meant to Eddie. All he knew was that it meant something, and Eddie was thinking about it seriously. I better go, said Eddie. See you later, said Michael. Though little did he know, that was the last time he would speak to Eddie ever again as he disappeared slowly into the water. The next day was their last on the lake. Michael's mom and dad had packed up all their things and were ready to leave in the afternoon. Michael sat on the dock and watched Rob Van Beek and the boys play football on the other side of the water. One boy threw a laser of a pass through Rob's hands, and the ball skipped across the water toward the middle of the lake. Just then, a large gust of wind blew from the shore and pushed the ball even closer to the middle. The boys spotted Michael sitting on the dock, and yelled to him from the other side. Hey weird kid, paddle to the middle and get us our football, would you? Michael sat frozen, reminded of the humiliation he felt the last time those boys asked him to do something. Hello, we're talking to you, said Rob. Forget it, I'll just get the ball. That creepy little weirdo's useless, Rob said again. He began swimming toward the ball. Michael watched on and expected more insulting words from Rob once he was close enough. 
when he was about 15 feet away from the ball, Michael noticed four pale fingers breach the surface and give the ball a gentle nudge. Michael stood up, filled with fright at the thought that something horrible was about to happen. He opened his mouth to warn Rob in the water, but nothing came out as he looked on in terror. Rob neared the ball and glanced at Michael on the dock with a disgusted expression. Just as he reached out for the ball, his arm and head disappeared under the water, as if he were yanked fiercely by something beneath. A moment later, he popped back up flailing frantically and gasping for air. He kicked and splashed and shouted in fear. Let go! He yelled desperately before being pulled under again, with silence ringing painfully into the ears of those who witnessed the apparent struggle. A moment passed and the silence continued. Another moment passed, and the absence of noise grew louder. Michael and the boys across the lake waited anxiously, eagerly anticipating Rob to explode through the surface and swim to safety. But he never did. Each second that passed without a sign of life made everyone fear the worst, until the boys on the other side of the lake panicked and ran inside to get help. Michael stood paralyzed on the dock, unable to close his mouth or blink as he stared intensely at the water and the football floating calmly upon it. Rob's father ran outside and jumped into his boat to go to the spot where Rob was last seen. It was then Michael's concentration broke and he ran inside to watch from the window. Rob's father, George, had no luck finding his son in the water, as he scanned the area desperately, yelling Rob's name as he did so. Michael listened to the yelling from inside his house, confident that wherever Rob was, he could not hear his father's shouts. A dive team was soon brought in to look for Rob. They searched for hours, until finally... They found his body anchored to the bottom of the lake, held in place by pond grass, tied tightly around his ankles. Not only was the weak grass strangely enough to keep the young, healthy boy submerged in place, but the area where they located his body was a considerable distance from where he was last seen. Nearby Rob's sunken body were the bones of another small person. These bones were later found to be the remains of an Edward McMillan, Eddie, as he was known by his family and friends. Eddie went missing in the summer of 81, and was thought to be a victim of child abduction due to the lack of evidence and testimony pertaining to his whereabouts. Rob's father George cried with the pain of two broken hearts. He had not only lost a child, but took on the emotional burden of losing someone else's. A burden long overdue for George and the others. Michael and his parents drove home after seeing the young boy being pulled out of the water. 
the drive back was quiet. It always was, but this time the silence was different. Eerily so. In the following months, Michael thought often of Eddie. He thought about why he was out there in the lake, and how Eddie must have known loneliness in a way us living people simply could not fathom. Michael never spoke a word of his midnight encounters with Eddie to anyone. Not because he didn't want to, but because those moments were held in a sacred place for kindred spirits. Maybe they just weren't for anyone else to know. As time passed, Michael thought less and less about Eddie. Summer after summer, Michael and his parents went to their house on Lake Menominock. He never saw the Van Beeks or any of the kids who played near their house. In fact, he barely saw any kids at all. He just sailed in his tiny boat, sat on the log in his backyard, and lay awake late into the night from the comfort of his bedroom. Eventually, Michael had children of his own, who he brought to the lake house in the summer. But no matter how much time passed, Michael never completely forgot about the boy who lived in the lake.